Okay, uh, good uh, afternoon, good morning or good evening where you are in the world. Um, I'm happy to uh, welcome you to our last online hot politics of the year. Um, uh, what started in March during the pandemic as a way for Gijs and myself to cope with Corona stress uh, turned out to be a, a really nice way of having our lab meetings. Um, because we could now have a much broader pool of both speakers and uh, people listening in. Um, I'm happy you're here today uh, on the last Friday of the month, uh, which is a little earlier because of the Christmas break now. Uh, we uh, particularly open our virtual floor for graduate students um, from both our own group or our own university or from other places. And today we have a good mix. And we start with Micah Homan, who will present a new project. So some of you have heard ext Micah extensively talk about her facial mimicry, but now we'll talk about emotion recognition, right, Micah? No, you're going to talk about facial mimicry? No, for the very, very last time. I'm oh, proud. one more time. Oh, damn, I'm sorry. I've been on Zoom <laughs> since nine o'clock this morning, so I'm going to yeah, give, no. forgive myself. <laughs> one more no, time mimicry. One more time. <laughs> Don't promise that. <laughs> Uh, but Micah, the floor is yours. My, we oh, all yes. know Micah. Micah is our PhD student uh, interested in facial displays and will talk, uh, has some really exciting results, uh, I think. Yes, I'm just sharing my screen now. Yes. Yeah, uh, thank you all for joining on this uh, last day for the Christmas break. Uh, Friday afternoon, but yeah, so this, are, this is the final and last time about this project, probably I'll just do follow-up studies, but uh, we got uh, yeah, the final results now, so we wanted to present these. And um, yeah, this project is about do we mimic politicians? And in this uh, project, uh, yeah, we really look at whether, how people respond to the emotions of, of politicians. And uh, yeah, I will mo mostly focus also on the physiological results. Uh, of this project. Um, yeah, so we know from, I, like my project PhD also focuses just on general like visual politics and we know that a lot of uh, voters use uh, um, impressions of attractiveness and competence, uh, these visual cues just as, as shortcuts, as heuristics um, in their evaluations of politicians and other political behavior. And we don't really know that much about what happens when politicians show emotions. And we, we know that it might influence our evaluations, but we don't really actually know what really happens with um, our emotional reactions. So if a politician, which they do quite strategically, shows an emotion, does this also lead to a similar emotional reaction in us or a different reaction? Or how does that work? That's actually what we're looking at in this project. And um, yeah, so they're actually, we base our, our project on two theories or two theoretical frameworks. So on one side, the match-motor hypothesis. And uh, this, this perspective basically says that this whole process of, of mimicry and emotional contagion is very automatic and just sort of a reflexive response. So when we see someone displaying emotion, for example, a smile or happiness, then we uh, automatically also do this uh, ourselves. So we also start smiling, start activating the same muscles in our face. And this gives a signal to our body, leading to us feeling the same way um, as we saw, we just observed in another person. And this whole process is known to in, in increase liking of the person and perspective taking, understanding, etc. So that's 
why it's interesting to see whether this also happens when politicians are showing an emotion. Um, but there's an also an alternative perspective, namely uh, emotional mimicry in social context model, which says that it actually is dependent on, uh, on the setting and the context. So it's not just happens all the time and it's very just automatic. It, it depends on who is showing the emotion. So you have two routes. Basically, the, the upper one says that when the person that's showing an emotion is someone from our in-group or someone we uh, feel affiliated with, this will lead to uh, congruent emotion and understanding and recognition, etc. But if this person is someone we don't have any affiliation with, someone from our out-group, this would lead to sort of uh, incongruent emotions, even reactive response. So, for example, uh, in politics, it might be that some a politician you would never support, you really sort of even might hate that this and that person is showing, uh, for example, anger that you find this so ridiculous that you might laugh. Uh, so, like the opposite reaction instead of empathizing with that an angry emotion. Um, but with politics, it also could also be the case that voters don't really connect with politicians that much, that are too far away from us. So, so it's also actually a question. Uh, whether we mimic them just in general. Um, so when we look at uh, more work in political science, uh, we see sort of more uh, uh, support for this context model. So first of all, we see that when politicians express emotions, that this elicits also emotional reactions in, in voters. And this is also moderated by prior beliefs. So it depends on whether you support the politician or do not support the politician. Um, but the findings are quite inconsistent. So sometimes this is for smiling, for happiness, sometimes it's for anger, uh, sometimes um, it's, it's not as clear. So um, we want to improve these studies and find a more sort of conclusive answer by improving our sample size using a range of different politicians and also using more controlled emotions, more controlled stimuli. Um, so in this project we have four uh, hypotheses or four research questions. So first of all, do we mimic the emotions of politicians? Secondly, is this context, so in-party versus out-party politician of importance? And then um, in some cases, people really feel this emotional attachment to a politician. So you want to see whether this emotional attachment also sort of enhances this mimicry or uh, uh, yeah, enhances this mimicry process or whether when someone really feels negative about a, a politician, this sort of inhibits this mimicry process. Um, so yeah, the stimuli. So we want try to make them very controlled. And we did this by using pictures of the uh, government website of the 13 political uh, of party leaders of uh, the Netherlands in that time. And those pictures were all really the same. So all white backgrounds, all same angle, etc. Um, and then uh, we manipulated them to look happy with uh, face, uh, face app. This is a filter that you could use, which is very realistic. It's actually quite creepy as well. Uh, and then um, we, uh, there was no angry filter, so we actually used this more yeah, psychological program, um, uh, Psychomorph, in which you can um, yeah, really manipulate action units. So these are muscles in the face. And, and we specifically manipulated the muscles that are related to uh, anger. Um, so, and then the experiment itself, uh, it was a lab experiment and in this experiment we first asked people their demographics and uh, some control variables, political knowledge, etc. And then we hooked them up to this physiological measurement, a facial uh, EMG, so this is what you can see on the picture. Um, we tested uh, the corrugator muscle and the zygomaticus muscle. And the corrugator is known to uh, measure uh, negative valence. 
frowning basically and zygomaticus is known for um, smiling and uh, positive valence. Um, and so this in ex experiment we asked uh, them, um, the participants who would you vote for if there was now an election or who would you never vote for if there was now an election and um, that we used as in an out party assignment so for those uh, politicians they would see the, the emotional displays um, and then we also asked for those, those parties or politicians the feeding thermometer to get this identification uh, measure. Um, so in the experiment itself, we had several elements. Um, so we had two manipulation checks. And the first one uh, were a uh, couple positive and a couple negative pictures from the IAPS uh, system set. And um, these were just to see whether indeed we captured this valence. So that people uh, smile in response to positive pictures and frown in, in response to negative pictures. And uh, then a second manipulation check, we wanted to see whether we also can capture the mimic mimicry. Uh, by uh, including um, yeah, mimicry pictures from non-politicians, so just normal uh, people displaying ang anger, happiness. Um, and so that we could compare this effect with politicians uh, and how, how much this aligns or whether this uh, effect is quite different. And so these politicians, um, where the pictures I just showed before, uh, were shown for eight seconds. And before that, we showed also a fixation screen, which we used as baseline. And this was all randomized and we also had some fillers and some other tasks to keep the, uh, yeah, make the experiment engaging. So yeah, then the results. So um, just very quick, quickly for the manipulation checks, the, the negative and positive pictures indeed uh, significantly uh, elicited negative versus positive valence. So that was really great, really um, shows that our measurements indeed uh, expect or doing what we expected it to do. Um, then for this uh, mimicry pictures of non-politicians, we uh, find mimicry basically. So if you look at the red bar, so the, the corrugator, you see um, high corrugator activity in the angry condition and really relaxed corrugator activity in the happy condition. Um, then uh, if you look at the, the greenish one, uh, the, the zygomaticus, the smiling one, you see that it's um, compared to the neutral uh, condition, the happy condition is high. But what we didn't expect to find is it also quite high during the angry condition. So um, yeah, you wouldn't expect people to smile in response to, to an angry face. But actually um, looking back into the literature, this ha has happened uh, quite a lot before. And uh, they explain it as some sort of, um, that people tense up their, their cheek as well in response to negative stimuli. And it can also be some sort of grimace or smirking or uh, however you want to call it uh, in response to uh, uh, an angry or negative uh, uh, stimulus. And uh, we also find this in, in the other uh, uh, angry conditions, also to politicians. So it's actually quite consistent. So looking at the politicians, uh, we actually see a quite different uh, pattern than in the, the mimicry pictures. So if you look again at the corrugator, so the red ones, uh, you see that for the in-party, it's actually for all conditions, it's relaxed. So looking at an in-party politician in general makes you sort of happy. And um, we see that again, the zygomaticus, the smiling is quite high during the angry condition, but also quite high during the happy condition. Um, but there's not really the same sort of pattern as you would expect with them compared to those mimicry uh, pictures. Then if you look to the, in the out party, you see it overall, the corrugator is really active. So looking at an out party really makes us frown. Um, and then one um, 
the thing that stands out is actually the angry condition. So the zygomaticus is the smiling response again active, um, but it's really way stronger compared to uh, the mimicry pictures, to the in-party, and uh, this might suggest a, a sort of reactive response, which you can also see in the next slide. So on the right side, you see the angry condition. For the zygomaticus, you see a really high spike for the, for the out-party. So this might really suggest that we find it sort of ridiculous when we see an out-party politician show anger. Um, and on the left side, you really clearly see that, for example, for the in a happy condition, that the corrugator is really relaxed for the in-party, whereas the, um, it's very active for the out-party. So this is not really the mimicking, it's more like sort of an, a negative versus positive response uh, of seeing someone we support and someone we really would never support. And if you look at the uh, self-reports, um, so this also shows that this is more like an effective response. So in-party elicits a lot of self-reported uh, happiness and out-party a lot of self-reported anger. But if you do uh, compare the conditions, so uh, you see some sort of emotional contagion. So um, people report more anger in the angry condition and more happiness in the happy condition. Um, but these effects are uh, quite small and in in-party they're a little bit bigger than in the out-party. So then for hypothesis three and four, um, overall we don't really find uh, a clear uh, effect of this identification or negative partisanship. There was one, we did like a range of, of analysis and we have a lot of different dependent variables and there was one analysis that turned out significant in which identification in an angry condition led to a little bit less um, zygomaticus activity for the in-party, um, but all the other uh, analyses were all not significant. So it's really yeah, hard to say that that really has an effect. So we actually, yeah, we, we're, we're uh, rejecting this hypothesis. Then we uh, thought it was interesting to look at the different politicians because we have yeah, 13 politicians, uh, different politicians. So we thought it might be interesting to see if some characteristics uh, are of importance. And what we find is that uh, male politicians elicit more frowning, uh, so corrugator response, compared to uh, female politicians. I must say that there were only two female politicians, so it's not much to compare, but still a small effect that we found. And then also the left-wing uh, politicians from a, a left-wing party were um, elicited less frowning and more smiling, which is, I think, also quite interesting. Um, and yeah, just overall, we found very low correlations between self-reports and the corrugator uh, response uh, and, and Sigmaticus response. So it was yeah, low alignment. Um, but just yeah, to conclude, overall, we see sort of more an effective response in, in response to politicians and their emotions. And especially for the out party, we saw really big sort of reactive response um, when they look angry. So. Um, yeah, looking at these results, you wouldn't say that this is just an automatic process of, of mimicking. Uh, it's more support for this emotional mimicry and social context model, uh, in which really depends on uh, when we're looking at an in or out party politician. And uh, yeah, it's, overall, it's, uh, there isn't that much evidence based on these results for mimicry. Uh, it's probably more complex than that and more sort of effective uh, res response. And I'm also looking forward to what you think uh, about these re uh, results. And uh, I'll thank you for, uh, for listening. Thank you, Maike, for this uh, really interesting presentation. Um, 
I uh, well, there wasn't much new for me because <laughs> we uh, we work on the paper uh, last Tuesday. Um, so I, I'm not going to ask a, a question. And I'm hoping uh, those participants who've been listening, uh, 20 people from all uh, over the world, um, please type your questions into the uh, Q and A uh, uh, box, and, and and I will read them out. We have until about 3:30 uh, for uh, Mike, and then we'll switch uh, screens to John. Um, Should I stop maybe you, maybe you have a question while we'll wait for uh, answers to appear. Uh, questions to appear, sir. There's a question. Oh, there is one. Thanks. Great. Two questions already. Super fast. Patrick Stewart wins the prize for the fastest comment of the day. Incredible work. Could the smile in response to anger slash threat be possibly be submissive behavior, e.g. signaling lack of threat. Hmm, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because in this work also of the Dartmouth group, they say, say that this um, happiness uh, is also sort of a form of affiliate, uh, affiliation and uh, reassurance. Um, yeah, it could be that instead of if you're showing, if you've, you're confronted with someone who's very angry, it's, it's uh, um, yeah, perceived more as a threat that you then, in response, want to show some sort of warm sig signals. Um, however, from the, the literature in mimicry, uh, this is what mostly people just uh, mimic it with showing uh, uh, frowning and not smiling. Um, but there are some papers that show that for people who are low on empathy, that they're more likely to, to smile in response to angry um, pictures. So um, yeah, it's quite complex. How what now? What exactly is the reason for this smiling in response to uh, frowning? But indeed, it's a, that's an interesting suggestion. I will uh, definitely think about that a little bit more. You probably should study even more action units. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> Next uh, question from Diamantus Petropoulos Petalas, who, by the way, will join the Hot Politics Lab uh, half March as postdoc. Uh, really looking forward to that. And he has a question. Thanks, Micah. This is a great line of work. I wonder about the magnitude of difference in response for the left-wing politicians. The difference in magnitude for the left-wing politicians. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what we see is that there's uh, when uh, for the left-wing politicians, people uh, smile a little bit more and frown less. So um, yeah, it's actually interesting to look into that a little bit more. Uh, the, the overall sample was quite left-wing because we used a student sample. So our overall results are mostly also uh, based on left-wing uh, politicians. Um, um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting to see. So it would suggest that, that in general, people uh, are less, yeah, are more happier when they see a, a left-wing politician and the magnitude, yeah, so then it would be less mimicking or, yeah, there is no really that, that much mimicking. I think it would be more a positive response to their left-wing politician. Yeah, but this is something we really, we, we didn't really expect to find a, a big result in this. And we saw this effect. And I think it's interesting to look more into this. Yeah. Uh, just for my own memory, I think, in, yeah. did we control in that analysis for uh, whether people saw the in-party or the out-party? I think what do you mean? Where did they well, saw? It's, uh, people did not. It's not the case that people smiled more to the left-wing politicians on average, because on average, no. 
that they are more likely to be the in party, right? That's yeah. what we controlled for yeah. statistically. Yeah. 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 So even even when controlling for who your in party is, we see more smiling with the left wing politicians. Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. So they're equally ridiculous for left-wing and right-wing people. <laughs> yeah. And I think the effect size is something like 0.2 EMG, if I remember correctly, um, which I think is almost comparable to uh, the treatment effects, but, uh, but I might be wrong here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was both for the corrugator and for the zygomaticus. So uh, yeah. yeah, both measures we find it. Okay. Uh, I'm getting several questions now. Uh, first question from, I'm, I'm probably going to screw this up uh, name-wise, Ozan Osgur Oktai. Is there any similar study from another culture? What would be the cultural effects? Hmm, interesting. Um, so most studies using uh, emotional politicians, I think were in uh, Canada, the US, um, so not that much uh, culturally different, so mostly just Caucasian politicians. Uh, but I think there might be um, some differences, especially if you look in, in um, emotion expression in different uh, countries for politicians. Some, uh, in some countries, politicians show a lot more emotions than in other countries. And also it might differ, um, uh, yeah, just how their face looks and, and maybe uh, different skin tones. But um, yeah, there's not much evidence showing cultural differences uh, so far. Uh, but I think it would be interesting to see, um, to compare to different countries, especially um, countries where emotions in, in pol politics is way higher compared to countries where there's much less uh, emotion expressed by politicians and see how they respond. Yeah. More research to be done. Um, there's a question from Qingyao Z. I, I assume this is stands for Zhang, and and then 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 we have the who's um, um, uh, going to be an intern at the Hot Politics oh, Lab also yes. next uh, semester. Uh, I have a clarification question. Does the face app realistically adjust the face to the happy condition? I guess people might show fewer reactions if the image seems not so real. I remember you talk about the manipulation of angry faces is based on muscle movements, etc. But what about the happy face? Yeah, very good question. I didn't have time to elaborate on it during the presentation. But um, yeah, so um, we manipulated the action units of anger. Um, but for, for happiness, it was quite hard because uh, if someone smiles, you also see if they look neutral and you try to manipulate the smile. Uh, for the, in a program psychomorph, it would also show teeth, but then those teeth are very unrealistic because they're well fake. And in that filter with this the face app, it really looks realistic. And uh, so we pilot tested everything. So um, we asked just what emotion do you see in this face or do you perceive? And almost 100% of those people um, all saw happiness. So that was happiness uh, manipulation worked very, very well. And we had a question about just um, asking how genuine do you think this does this this expression look? And there we also find very satisfying results. So overall, people found them quite uh, yeah believable and didn't uh, see it as fake. So uh, yeah, but also if you if you look at the pictures um, more closely, there that, that filter works really really well. It's really uh, yeah quite creepy how well it works. Um, but yeah. 
And also we, we used this pilot results to control also in our analysis and we didn't find any uh, significant effects of these uh, pilot results uh, on the effects. Okay, um, thanks then uh, Patrick Stewart again. Um, how much dominance was signaled by these phases? For example, uh, I can't pronounce this word, I think, physiognomy, baby faces oh, for left-wing politicians and knowledge of their power in the political structure. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah, so whether dominance actually matters and based on their, just their appearance and also in the political structure, uh, yeah, just in general. Yeah, uh, well, dominance has in, in, in general a quite big effect. Uh, if you look at other research, uh, in, poli in politics, uh, especially with the looks. Um, but here, yeah, we, we didn't, con I was actually thinking of, might be interesting to also uh, ask in this kind of pilot study, um, just facial appearances like dominance and attractiveness and competence and see how that matters for mimicry. Uh, but we didn't do that here. Yeah, we, we looked whether there are big differences between politicians and also politicians that are uh, more well known, or maybe even more more dominant, but we didn't really find that much big differences. Only when we made these variables like male, left wing, etc. Um, and also, I'm not sure who I would say would be really, really dominant uh, politician in our. Oh, we could figure that out. But yeah, in, in, we we didn't test it, but I think it would be interesting to see if more dominant faces would also be received maybe more angry and also maybe elicit then more corrugator active activation. So uh, yeah, definitely interesting, but we didn't uh, control for it here. But to add to that, I think uh, some of the faces are much easier to manipulate than others. Yeah. And yeah this is, I think this is probably has to do with the dominance of their face. Yeah. Yeah. So was it Lodewijk Usher, I think, the leader of the Labour Party? For him, it was almost impossible to look to make him look angry. Yeah, yeah. Whereas definitely. for uh, Tuna Hun Kusu, the leader of the, the yes. Denk party, yeah. that's uh, uh, a Muslim party, uh, for him, it's like his neutral face is already super angry. Yeah, yeah. He has these very strong brows. Yeah, it was mostly the eyebrows because Usher in his picture uh, looked, his eyebrows were quite high and small. And it was very hard to make them look look angry. Whereas with uh, it was really really easy. It was it just only had to lower it a little bit, and it was super super angry. But yeah, there are really these facial features um, which are yeah closely related and to anger. So then it's also easier, and also maybe indeed related to to dominance. And yeah. yeah. Okay, I have no more questions, and we're also uh, out of time. <laughs> so thanks a lot, Maike. Uh, you'll get your hot politics lab, Mark. I think you already have one, right? Yeah, I have one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Berta, I'll uh, give it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Micah. Um, and uh, um, it was great to see once more the Mimicry project being presented. Um, uh, it's a pleasure to also introduce you all to our uh, second speaker, who is uh, uh, John Zengin from Temple University. Uh, John is a graduate student at the Department of Political Science, working with uh, Finn Arsenault at the Behavioral Foundations Lab, a lab that we are closely collaborating with. And uh, John is doing really interesting work on the role of emotions in politics. And I think he will be sharing some of that today. Or if, am I wrong for the second time, John? No, you're right. All right, the floor is yours. All right, thank you so much. Um, 
first of all, thanks for having me. And uh, second, Michael, that was a great uh, presentation. Thank you for your research. Um, so let me share my screen here. <clears throat> so um, I, I'm, I'm a grad student at Temple University, as Bert uh, indicated. Uh, so this research is uh, kind of in a way of cooking right now. So we have we don't have any results yet, but this is more theoretical. So uh, just just a caveat I wanted to mention in the beginning. So the story behind my project is like there are so many polarized uh, societies as my own country, Turkey, also the country I live in, the United States, and also the polarization is everywhere. And there is this us versus them rhetoric and uh, effective polarization is a very interesting topic I, I, I really enjoy studying. As Iyengar said, like the growing trend of favoring the in-group while disliking and distrusting those from out groups. So the highlighted ones like favoring, disliking, distrusting, that, that those are uh, uh, types of emotions that, uh, that uh, re really brings attention. So then I asked my I asked myself a question like why are we divided and like how do our individual level emotions like aggregate the sharp societal divisions we see in the society? So when I looked at the literature like the theories of meta, uh, motivated reasoning has a solution for uh, like how group conflict shapes the art group bias. For example, the cognitive dissonance, uh, uh, cognitive dissonance. Uh, so it says like individuals develop negative feelings about art groups to justify themselves and to feel better about their in-group. But then I asked myself the second question, it's a follow-up like that, are people always, like do people always do that? Are people always motivated to reduce the cognitive dissonance by bringing the cognition uh, attitude and behaviors in line with their identities? Like, is it always the case? And the answer, as I read in the literature, it's no. So some people resolve the cognitive dissonance by accepting the blame instead of bringing with, line, uh, with their identities. So here, my goal is uh, to, to present like what explains the variance in this outgroup bias. So as I mentioned, my project is basically effective polarization, but I believe in the heart, it's, uh, it's about the outgroup bias as well. And then uh, all those emotions out there, uh, this is from Marcus et al. Um, piece. Uh, so there are three basic types of emotions, circumstances caused, other caused, and self-caused. But while I was looking at the literature, including Hot Politics Lab and my own dissertation chair, everyone looks at the, the top two ones. Like no one looks at the bottom ones. Like what about the self-conscious emotions? No one uh not no one but like very few people look at self-conscious emotions and uh, most of the literature uh mentions about the, the the anger and anxiety relationship in effective polarization like while anger increasing the out group bias anxiety reduces the out group bias that's like the overall take from the literature and uh, in the self-conscious emotions part uh there are a few studies mostly exploring the impact of American invasion of Iraq like, and also shame and empathy by uh, Simas et al. and Salmela. 
and then I, I, I dived into self-conscious emotions, like how do these emotions differ from others? And what I uh, gathered uh, that is that they are very important because in the effective polarization, we mostly talk about the identity and identity is the core of uh, self-conscious emotions. For example, there is the self-awareness issue that self-awareness and self-representation capacity to form the identity together. That's one uh, feature of self-conscious emotions. And the second one, development takes time. It's not from birth, uh, it develops in time and most likely uh, it, uh, it matures by the end of uh, third year in life. So it's not like uh, um, fear, let's say like fight or flight reaction, but it's a developing process and it, uh, uh, it, it's at the end of third year most likely. And there is also the maintenance or enhancement of status or prevention of the group rejection. So there is this uh, complex social goals, goals between in and out groups. Uh, and there is the cognitive complexity that uh, evaluation of broader norms and assessment with high cognitive functions. So these were interesting to me. Uh, fifth point is there is no non-universal expressions we found out, but maybe Mike in future can find out for me because uh, I, I don't know about this part. And uh, the second importance of self-conscious emotions, the link to the identity aspect. So these emotions create the relationship between moral standards and the moral behavior, which is very important uh, in, uh, in out-group bias. And uh, secondly, in the societies, which varies across, uh, uh, across cultures and countries, they provide a motivational force to understand what is right and what is wrong. So uh, these are the importance of the self-conscious emotions. Here, I have a quick note from psychology. Uh, if uh, any, any people, uh, some people don't have the basic knowledge of this, so I, I, I highly, uh, uh, I, I want to mention about this because in daily life, guilt and shame are very interchangeable. Everyone understands the same thing. But in psychology literature, the basic difference is whereas guilt is the result of a reaction to a specific behavior, shame is ascribed to the actor's negative sense of identity. So guilt is more about the behavior and the consequences is most likely to motivating to good consequence, like addressing the problem or remedy the problem but on the other hand shame doesn't give a stress-free environment it's more about negative sense of identity and less likely to take any corrective action and uh, the other caveat is uh, some uh, some part of the literature focuses on like shame on you like people telling you uh, be, to be ashamed but what i'm talking self-conscious emotions about like how I feel about my own actions, not uh, the other ways. So now uh, here is my research question, like how do our individual level of uh, level emotions aggregate to the uh, effective polarization in, in politics and in daily life? This is the overarching question in my dissertation. Uh, so, I argue that uh, self-conscious emotions moderate the relationship between daily life interactions and the effective polarization. And here I focus on the proneness to the shame, guilt, and pride. 
uh, as, as I mentioned, I look at the dispositional tendencies, like the, the traits as a moderator instead of emotion states itself, because it allows me to make inferences about the emotional states without having to measure them directly. And uh, so my first hypothesis, this will be like the chapter one in my dissertation, among guilt-prone individuals, there's a small association between information about, about the in-group trans, uh, transgression and the level of effective polarization. Versus among the shame-prone individuals, there is a huge association between information and the effective polarization. So how did I come up with this hypothesis? So in daily life, we always uh, talk to each other or uh, we are on social media or we, we watch YouTube videos or any type of information we receive uh, throughout the day. So these informations might uh, include some transgressions caused by our own in-group towards the out-group. So we receive them all day long. So that creates a cognitive dissonance in our minds. And while we are assessing, my hypothesis among the shame-prone individuals, we assess it like, how could we do that? Or how could I, I do that? So something is wrong with us. And it's more self-oriented on perspective. And since we need to escape the cognitive dissonance, our reaction is most likely the, is the defensive, prone to blaming other people, and prone to anger and aggressive behavior. But on the other hand, among the guilt-prone individuals, the same mechanism uh, goes uh, into play like this. While we are assessing this information, how could we have done that more focus on the behavior rather than the identity? And what we say is something is wrong with what we did instead of what with me or us. So it's more other-oriented and another person's perspective. So it's more emphatical. And the reaction is non-defensive, more amending behavior and addressing the problem, and more likely to manage the anger constructively and rationally discuss the situation. So I know some, some of you are more visual. We don't have the experiment yet, but this is what I expect. So as the information about the in-group transgression goes higher, for the shame-prone individuals, I expect effective polarization to be high, versus for the guilt-prone individuals, I expect a low uh, association. So as I mentioned, there is no experiment. This is my hypothesis still. And in, in this dissertation, my second hypothesis is about the culture's, culture's role, uh, about the outcome of this shame emotion. So from shame-guilt debate, I directly focus on the shame part, uh, like whether it leads to hide and retreat, or leading to anger and aggression. And uh, some of the literature mentions about the cross-cultural differences of shame emotion. In individualistic cultures, it's more me-oriented and self-identity separates it from others and its individual standards and norms. Versus in the collectivist cultures, uh, the self-identity cannot be separated from others and more interpersonal standards of norms. And the role of shame is in individualistic cultures, it, the literature says it doesn't mobilize to change versus in collectivist cultures, it's more high valued, esteemed as an emotion and hyper 
recognized uh, in the society. So this is very, uh, this is in very early stage. Uh, I haven't done much about this hypothesis, but in my opinion, it still mobilizes the individualistic cultures as well, but with more anger and resentment. That leads to uh, the third hypothesis. Uh, this is gonna be the third chapter in my dissertation. So as we talked about shame's role, uh, that cognitive dissonance and people need to get rid of this uh, emotional distress. I argue that uh, the populist movements, specifically right-wing nationalism, may help individuals to reduce the cognitive dissonance created by this ashamed uh, feeling. So th there are uh, two uh, parts of this uh, hypothesis. I, I'm uh, trying to more uh, make it more elaborate. So the, since we have the transgression of our in-group, then you feel uh, ashamed of your identity. If you are in the uh, majority group, then you might sympathize, sympathize and empathize towards the victim group, which makes you join the existing populist movement and giving you pride and less cognitive dissonance. Versus if you are in the minority or victim group, feeling ashamed of your identity might result in rejecting the shame, finding pride in it, and joining the populist movement. So the, the first part, and the, the majority part is sort of mentioned by Salmela 2019 uh, paper. And the second part, what I gather from literature is the, uh, the the Camisado movement uh, from Argentina. Uh, it basically means the shirtless ones and the Peron supporters took this, uh, uh, took the phrase and then reject the shame and find pride in it and then create their own movement, this the Camisado movement. So as I mentioned about the first part, that there is a Salmelas, uh, this is my notes about his, uh, his argument. So basically, he mentions that shame is a master emotion and contemporary neoliberal societies promote the feelings of insecurity, powerlessness, and worthlessness. And uh, in the third part, he mentions the similar thing to my third hypothesis, like why do people uh, support the right-wing political movements so he says the first mechanism is the resentment, shame turning into the anger, resentment, and hatred. And the second mechanism is emotional distancing, like uh, pushing the social identity away that induces shame and finding uh, comfort in nationality, ethnicity, religion, or language. So here, I agree with two points, but my uh, my contribution here is not necessarily only in neoliberal societies we can we, we see this uh, in other societies as well and uh, this emotional distancing is not the only thing so i argue that pride as a conciliator emotion to reduce the cognitive dissonance And our research design will take place like treatment group will take the proneness to self-conscious emotions uh, test. And then there will be priming by videos. And then the last step is effective polarization level measures. And the control group will be a pure control. Uh, so 
for the moderator, we, uh, we use the Tosca test. Uh, a shorter version of Tosca 3 is available, and we use, uh, we, we use this excluding the positive scenarios and just looking at the negative scenarios. Uh, one question in the Tosca test to measure the proneness is like this example. Uh, it, it looks at the shame, guilt, detachment, and externalization of, uh, of the feeling. And uh, for priming, we picked uh, three categories, national ID, racial ID, and the partisan ID in the United States. So for the national ID, we, uh, we look at the Iraqi invasion, uh, since uh, most of the people in the literature looks at this, we wanted to do the experiment in the same way just to see the comparison. And uh, for the racial ID, we mostly focus on whites, but me, we might uh, change the video here. So we might focus on the civil rights movement as well. And uh, for Democrats and Republicans, the transgression here is uh, uh, the, the corruption scandal uh, in, in, in a, a top level, um, a politician in the parties. And we also did a pilot study. Uh, John, here I is, think you think you should round up because otherwise we have no time for questions. Okay. Um, so we did the pilot study and uh, based on the pilot study results, uh, we didn't have much uh, significant results across the video. So we are going to just, uh, we are just going to pick one uh, out of two. And for the effective polarization, we, uh, we use the social distance and trust measures. And here is the example for that. And uh, thanks for listening. And uh, I hope uh, you enjoyed the presentation. Thanks, John. Uh, a, lot to, uh, a lot to digest a whole dissertation yeah. project uh, in, in 15 minutes. Uh, it, sounds, uh, it sounds very exciting. Um, so again, uh, for all the uh, participants, you can you can type your questions into the the, the Q and A box, and 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 I will read them out. Uh, while I wait for the first question to come, I'll I'll take the liberty to to ask uh, ask a question myself. So um, I was wondering whether um, people who are likely to feel guilt or shame are they equal or are they are they not already polarized at a different level or can we see the, the, these two things independently from each other um i do not know the exact answer to that but uh these proneness can vary across individuals and within individuals as well and uh what, what i read about the psychology literature is the proneness can change as well. It's not just predisposed and the same level for uh, the same individual. So it can be reduced or increased uh, based on the information and the techniques. Okay. Okay, question from uh, Mark Brandt. Uh, thanks for the presentation. I'm curious if there's evidence that trait shame and guilt can be a proxy for state shame and guilt. I'm personally surprised that you can cash this out. Uh, yeah, there, there are a couple of studies uh, which specifically focus on like individual level of shame and also the collective levels of shame. And uh, some of the collective level of uh, some of the collective level uh, studies uh, looks at uh, 
let's say, um, in, in the German case, uh, looking at the Nazi Germany uh, as the collective shame emotion. Uh, some other ones uh, I remember, um, I think there was one Dutch study as well about the East Asia uh, and, uh, but yeah, uh, there are like two types of uh, research there, like one looks at the individual level and the other one looks at the collective level, but uh, it might be interesting to look at like the state level as well. Okay. Uh, Bert, do you have a question? Yeah, kind of related question to Mark, um, because how I understand Mark's question is, is so you do some you do a test of sort of dispositional proneness to experience guilt mm -hmm. and you use that as a moderator of these treatment effects which yes. suggests that the people that are higher on this guilt proneness scale have a higher proclivity of also sort of getting in a sort of proxy state they, they should get in a state of guilt right and mm -hmm. i'm curious is there evidence for that that these people that are guilt-prone, are they indeed the ones that in this experiment are also ex gonna ex experience that, that state-level emotion that you suggest? Because you're now making sort of a mechanism claim based on an individual difference. Mm -hmm. uh, can, can I get to so, a small second, please? So the question is, is what's the evidence that the individual difference of mm -hmm. state pro uh, 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 no of trade proneness into guilt mm -hmm. translate into state guilt uh, uh yeah there, there are a couple of studies uh confirming that uh, from uh like in, in both predispositions and also emotional states it uh, it gives the same results I would if I would give a suggestion I would pilot test that to to see if that indeed also if that you get higher levels of uh, of the emotion that you're interested in among these people higher on uh, on the trade uh, guilt proneness just to show that you're getting the mechanism and that not other things related to the individual difference that explain that moderation effect that you anticipate yeah uh... Like as a follow-up study, I am also thinking about a lab experiment to 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 measure the uh, emotional state as well. But right now, it's kind of hectic times, as you can imagine. And uh, right now, we are going with the predispositions just just to see the initial results. Okay. Uh, there's a. Oh yeah. Sorry. There's a couple oh. of questions, Bert. Oh, sorry. I'll shut up. <laughs> Uh, there's a question from Patrick Stewart. Uh, do you think that there is a congruence of guilt to shame as pride to hubris? For example, is pride a fleeting emotion similar to guilt, whereas shame and hubris are longer lasting? In other words, is there a cycling of emotional response? Uh, so... Uh I will link these two parts based on the uh, the the the, the sh shame and pride relationship, because uh, 
pride also has two types. Like one type is uh, hubristic pride, and the second one is authentic pride. So what he says is already tied in the pride and uh, hubristic pride is more related to shame versus the authentic pride is more related to guilt there. Okay, that's clear. Uh, then a question from Ozan Oskur Oktay, uh, who says uh, something in Turkish, I assume. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Will you consider the socioeconomic status of people about polarization? Um, yes, I'm planning to consider that the, the Salmela piece I mentioned, uh, he basically looks uh, from the economical terms, actually. I, I would like to see that as well, but my mo like main motivation is looking at more identity aspect rather than the sociocultural aspect, because yes, like effective polarization uh, has the socioeconomic basis as well, but like what I'm most interested in is more like us versus them in the identity sense, like let's say left versus right, Democrat versus Republican, or in the Turkey sense, like AKP versus JHP, or like li liberal versus conservative mindset. So, but yes, uh, that, that, that's, that, that's a good idea to consider the socioeconomic uh, effects as well. Okay, there's a question from Nasser. If you looked at guilt and shame from a different perspective than psychology, like the mentioning of guilt and shame in religious books and other fields? Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, I haven't considered looking from the religious <laughs> one aspect, but uh, I believe religion is already embedded into those identities that I just mentioned. So I guess that kind of overlaps there. Okay. Uh, Bert, you want to finish your earlier question? Yes, only if you allow me. Uh, no, so, no, I uh, won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, John, can you um, say a little bit about what you anticipate in terms of effect sizes and, and sort of sample sizes needed to, to then detect these effect sizes? Uh, overall, um we, we are planning to look at like something around like 2,500 people as a uh, sample. And uh, probably the sample will be split into three groups, as I mentioned, like national ID, racial ID, and the uh, partisan ID. And uh, yeah, uh, in, in the pilot study, we had something like 450 people overall, but for the uh, main experiment, we are expecting something around 2,500 overall people. Okay. Yes, I would, yeah, I, I would also have maybe have some estimates of treatment effects for you and maybe you can ask some other people as well or Finn can do this, because my experience with these priming tasks is that these effects are tiny, so you really need to come with yeah. like a big, big, big hammer in terms of observations yeah. to knock it out and and would be would be it would be a bit of i would if i would advise you would be care if you're underpowered and not find it then you might actually have a really good idea that you were not just able to detect uh with mm -hmm. uh so that that i would i would pay attention to 
what, what, what would be your suggestion about the sample size then? I don't, I would do a power calculation, but I would anticipate a very, very small effect size. Like okay. the, the, the samples we did, Fief Locus and Ari Malka, we had, we had these numbers are a little higher and we were, it was not, the effect size are small. So that's just, that. I would start with that. Okay. No, thank you for the advice. Uh, there are two more suggestions and then we have mm -hmm. to round up. Uh, first suggestion uh, by Patrick Stewart. And he says, consider postural changes to prime responses uh, for guilt and pride or as a measure of response. Did you consider app at all, as in um, APP, at all? Uh, at all's work on no. posture. Okay, I, that would be. Uh, I would also be interested in getting that citation, uh, Patrick. Um, if, and another suggestion from me. Um, uh, your uh, the 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 the, um, the mechanisms you're describing it made me think a lot about the social movement work on emotions and I'm not, I, I don't know if you've looked at that yet but uh, but uh, but if you haven't like the, the work by Jasper and, uh, and, a, and a whole bunch of other people in that area is uh, it could be really uh, helpful and uh, there's a very good annual review of sociology I think summary paper by by Jasper himself uh, on uh, uh, on this topic so yeah Okay, yeah, Bert, do you want to run it up? Yes, thanks, guys. Uh, so thanks, uh, Mike and John, for uh, two excellent presentations. Thanks for those of you in the audience for the engaging questions and comments. Um, this is it for the normal hot politics meetings uh, that were online in 2020, and that will continue online in 2021. Because those of you who are in the Netherlands know we're in a good third wave or second wave and uh, in full lockdown. And there's no chance that we will be in a university building anytime soon. Um, Gijs and I did record a little surprise uh, overview uh, podcast for you where we reflect a little bit upon what we learned in these online hot politics sessions up to this point uh, that will be online probably somewhere next week so if you miss us during the christmas break you still have like an hour to listen to our warm voices uh, then on january 8th we continue with um, my former colleague and good friend jeff Lelkus from the university of pennsylvania we have ursula dexaker uh, and a the week afterwards and a whole bunch of excellent speakers lined up for you on the website uh, which include and are not limited to uh, people like Tristan Klingelhofer, a PhD student from John Hopkins who will come and present on Graduate Friday, my former student at Oscor, Andrea Fick who's new, now a PhD student at the University of uh, Oslo in Norway. So um, check out our website, uh, tune in from three to four uh, and uh, or listen to us on your favorite podcast device. Uh, I will say uh, this wrapping up that I want to thank you all for the participation. The move to an online lab has been fun, but it's only fun also because it seems that there is a audience for this in a sense that people find it interesting to come and listen and contribute and or present so uh, we hope that we can continue this in 2021 uh, and in the meantime most of all i hope all of you will take the time to unwind a little bit close down your computer not talk too much to a screen but maybe to your wife partner or friends and um or husband obviously uh and um uh 
take some time to relax during the Christmas break. And we look forward to seeing you again uh, January 8th.